Our thanks to Heather and to Hillary. Pastor Caroline, they're ably filling in for Pastor Caroline today. She, with our confirmation class, will be down for most of the morning into the early afternoon at St. Luke's Community United Methodist Church down on I-30 and Dolphin Road in Dallas, and they will be worshiping the Lord with that good congregation and rocking and rolling and having a great, great time. Pastor Valerie uh, is on uh, several days of personal retreat, uh, a spiritual retreat, and she'll be back among us the first part of this, uh, this week that we are now in. But being the first Sunday of Lent this go-around here in the year of our Lord 2016, what wondrous love is, is the theme that we will be working on, not only in worship during the course of the uh, Sundays of Lent, but during the whole Lenten journey we'll be having opportunity uh, privately and as couples and families and at home uh, to be exploring that theme scripturally in some other ways, and also at our weekly Lenten lunches on Tuesday at noon. Uh, that's available to any and all, uh, not only in the congregation, but in the community, and we invite you to be a part of that. You see a word about that in your, in your bulletin today, and when we get to that place in the service, an opportunity to say a little more about that. So what we've seen so far this morning from Dr. Luke, St. Luke and his gospel, is one very fundamental, seminal starting point where Jesus, for lack of a better term, determined to cross his own Rubicon, as it were, and enter back into the territory of God's people after time in the wilderness, scrappling with Satan. He crossed a, what for him was a very clear and abiding line in his grappling with the three temptations that Satan put before him. And it begins the possibility of such wondrous Jesus love being present and operative in not only your life and mine and in the life of the body of Christ, wherever we find it, but in the life of the world, even when the world is not tuned into that, caring about that, or in many places and times, in a way with hostility opposed to the presence, the sovereignty and the power of such love. It's when he said no to three occasions of temptation, one having to do with just the survival and the sustaining of his own human nature, being fully God and fully human there with stones to bread, and then to say no, to take, to take hold of the offer for complete and total temporal power, and then no, to become the latest, greatest, religious, spiritual rock star of his day. He said no to all three. Backed it up with Scripture, backed it up with his own intimate relationship with the Father, and he said no to those things. And all of the temptation to become very self-absorbed and for it all to be about him, he said no to all of that so that that laid the foundation For an illustration and a second reading in Dr. Luke today that we see, and I invite you to listen with this. Look on the screens or have your Bible open to the 13th chapter of Luke, and would you listen for the Word of God beginning with this remarkable, this remarkable narrative in verse 10 in Luke 13. Now, now as Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then, There appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. 
And she was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said, Woman, woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when he had laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. (coughs) Excuse me, verse 14. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, but not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord Jesus answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eight long years be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day. When he said this, all of his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. And he said, therefore, so what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed A mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden and grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Friends, this again is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? When small acts, O God, from big love, Jesus' love, Jesus-filled love, where, where they lead. This morning, Lord, we come before you, we come before you, ready to take that Lenten journey, these six weeks, to Jerusalem, to the cross, to your resurrection, to all of the events that name us and label us and Define us and call us and claim us from those activities, those happenings of the last week of your earthly ministry, holy week. We come ready to start that journey, each and all of us, we pray. and So we ask for the power of your Spirit here this morning as we consider under the banner of what wondrous love, what wondrous love, this place in Luke, this woman, Jesus, the the synagogue official, and where we find ourselves in the story. May all of these things this morning come to us and teach us and lift us up and edify us, convince us a step or two or three further in our growth in grace in you. So may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts now be acceptable in your sight. You, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. And amen. Truly was a remarkable thing. Truly is a remarkable thing. When Jesus re-enters the fray and really begins the essence of his ministry after saying no to making it all about himself. He says no to all of that. So that he may be all about doing the will of his heavenly, heavenly Father. So that it can be all about Extending the mercy and the compassion and the truth of God into life, 
in whatever way it needs to come so that when it does arrive in those lives, it is redemptive and it is healing and it is saving and it is transforming and it is not afraid to challenge the assumptions of the day, even in church. When small acts or large acts or middle-sized acts in between, when done with Jesus' love, Jesus-infused love, Jesus-defined love, oh, where will they lead? Such wondrous love in your life and mine and in the life and in the witness we may share in the world. Here was Jesus. Here was Jesus, and he was teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath. <coughs> and in the middle of that, there was this lady, afflicted and bound by this malady that had her bent over double. It almost gives you the impression that this individual might not have even been a young adult, might have been an older adult, but we don't know that for sure. All we know is that in this life, there are things that happen, afflictions that come, diseases that spring up, circumstances and injuries that happen in spite of any and all efforts we may have to prevent or to react favorably toward those things. They happen. And it happened to this woman. And for 18 years had lived a life with such a curvature of the spine that she could not even stand up straight. Can you imagine what it would be like to live your life, your whole awareness, your whole interaction with the people and the world around you, your whole understanding of what the world is even like, what your community is even like? from this sort of physical position? Have you known, ever known somebody in, such a, in a similar circumstance? It is almost beyond my ability at this point in my life, at least, to conceive of that. To conceive of that. But here was this poor lady. Consider it. Consider it. Parker, what if you all of a sudden wake up in the morning that, and you can't straighten up? And for the rest of your life, you're living it like this for 18 years. How old are you now? 14. 14 times plus 18 is what? 32? Not bad for a guy who scored the lowest possible score in the history of Texas A&M University on a math achievement test. It's the truth. 18. What if for 18 years until you were 32 years of age, all you could do was do the best you can in living life as Parker is intended to live it, with love and with grace and with capability and with joy and with energy and all of that, but you have to do it just like this. I wonder, I wonder how that would shape that young lady's perspective and practice. I wonder how it would enhance it, but I also wonder how it would cripple it like her body was crippled. It's not just the physical. It's everything else that goes along with it. And here on the Sabbath day, Jesus sees her. She's faithful. She's showing up in church more than likely. She's probably not standing outside the door, but she's doing so with a stigma upon her, not just the fact that she has this physical affliction, but in that day and in that place and in that time, it must have galled God greatly. And it must have galled Jesus greatly. 
that the prevailing theological opinion and interpretation if somebody was living a life as an invalid or somehow afflicted over the long term with something like that, so that this is your life, then the prevailing opinion was you were that way for a purpose. And the purpose was that somewhere, somehow, back in either your personal life or in your family lineage, there was such a grave reservoir of sin and disobedience that God was punishing you for that. Now, surely not everybody, and even Jesus' day, in that particular religious community understood it that way, but that, in many places, was the prevailing attitude. And so toward those folk that were living like this and trying to make sense out of life from that place, they found precious little outside, perhaps, of the love and the caring of their own family. In the larger community, what they knew, more often than not, was arm's length. Keep you at arm's length. The more stringent ones of the very rock-hard interpretation would look at them and go, Unclean. Stay away. You get to reside on the fringe of our community, if at all, and that is it. Not only the affliction, but the stigma and the ostracism and the loneliness and all the other stuff that can cripple a life. And Jesus comes and he says to the woman, you are free from all of the ailments, from this ailment, all of the factors and ramifications physically, spiritually, emotionally, and psychologically that it brings to you. You are free. Now, to me, it's just an amazing thing that in St. Luke's narrative here, that almost instantaneously as this lady stands up and she is straight, Parker is straight, that just immediately she begins jumping up and down and praising God. Now, If it were Parker, I could see Parker being able to do that because she is a spiritually astute young lady. And she's probably prepared herself in some sort of way, hoping and praying for the grace of God to come to her in some sort of liberating, healing, freeing way. And that some big part of her mind and heart and soul were ready for the moment whenever God would bring it. But I'm not sure Clay Womack would have been. I'm not sure Clay Womack in that first moment, would that would have been my first reaction. I don't know when I would have gotten around to giving God the glory God deserves, but I would have been in a state of shock for some considerable period of time. But not just Clay. You notice and react to the attitude of the synagogue official. Now, the thing about that one remarkable place in that story is that was the prevailing opinion, and that, for the most part, was good common sense that he was attempting to speak, at least in that place and attitude of that day. Six other days you can show up and God has the opportunity to heal you, but on the Sabbath day? No. You can get healed any time on the other six days if God wills to do it. So on the Sabbath, don't have those kinds of expectations and don't be seeking that kind of stuff. On the Sabbath, it's about, not about you, it's about God. And to that, Jesus says, precisely. Because you see, the gift of Sabbath, if you don't know, 
The gift of Sabbath was the very first great gift of grace that God ever gave, not only His covenant people, but gave the whole world, if the, whole, if the world just would have sense to do it and to follow it. The last day of creation in the Genesis narrative. When everything is pronounced well and good, what happens next? God fashions the Sabbath as a gift to God's own self and a gift to the world. And Jesus takes that Sabbath reality and he says that the greatest and most important gift of the Sabbath is that it shows without question to the ultimate and fullest degree of whatever is needed in the moment that God is love. God's love is proactive. It seeks you out. And when it does, it heals you. It changes you. Because that's what God wants in you, for you, and through you. Not only for your own well-being, but for this, as a sign and a symbol to what God wants for all creation all the time. And so, why not? The most full expression of Sabbath for Jesus is when Jesus... Heals. And convention, a human interpreted thing, is set aside. Because Sabbath is all about knowing, receiving, and responding to the fullness of God's love and God's grace. And if on the Sabbath, if in church, on a Sunday for us Christians... God wants to bring that sort of life-giving action is some preacher or some lay leader or some pillar of the church going to stand up and say, God, you can't do that. This is not the day for it. No. No. From the moment Jesus crossed, friends, the Rubicon with Satan, and said no to those three illustrations of temptation to make it all about himself. He took up, he took up in strength to make it all about God and God's mercy in the lives of people, all people. And so do we. Where small acts or large acts of Jesus' love shared by us into the lives of others, particularly the others who like the woman bent over, who like the, who like the theoretical Parker Buckles, who's all bent over, and her world is so truncated toward those that the world might say, wrong, evil, unclean, to all, but particularly to them, when small acts or large acts of Jesus' love, that sovereign love that is His, that shared by us, all of us, are done. The ultimate goal, the ultimate destination, what it's intended to do, is clear. Isn't it?